This episode is brought to you by Delta Airlines. One of the most underrated parts of a trip is that flight home. And that's why Delta Airlines tries to make you feel at home long before you even get there. Now, for somebody like me that's a homebody, feeling at home in the air is very valuable to me. And I love to curate that comfortable experience. And what I love about Delta is they have over a thousand hours of in-flight entertainment. They have Wi-Fi so I can do anything else that I want to do on my devices. They have great food and drink, and it just creates a positive end to my trip. They have fast, free Delta Sync Wi-Fi available for SkyMiles members, more than a thousand hours of in-flight entertainment, and they have premium food options and beverages like herbal teas, cold brew, sparkling wine, and more. All of the comforts that you'll find at home, you can find in a flight experience that feels made just for you. You may not be home yet, but Delta Airlines helps you feel a little bit more like it. Delta Airlines believes that you should feel at home, even if you're 30,000 feet above it. Learn more at Delta.com. You are listening to Blessed and Bossed Up, presented by Anchored Media, an entrepreneurship podcast for Christians all about how to make God the CEO of your business. Get ready to be inspired, challenged, but well-equipped to live and build your destiny His way. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Blessed and Bossed Up podcast. I'm really excited about today's episode because this is actually the first time we've had a lawyer on the show. And so because we talk about business all the time, naturally people ask questions that go into the law category. And I'm real big to be like, okay, we've stepped out of my area of expertise I don't know. (laughs) And even like at our podcast retreats and things like that, I'm always sending people to Nakia. So we read your bio. We know how awesome you are, but I just want to officially welcome you to the podcast, Nakia. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. And thank you for always being so supportive and for sending people my way. I really appreciate that. And for being a great client, too. Let's say that. You know, I try. (laughs) (laughs) Let's start at the beginning. So how did you get into law in the first place? So that's actually really funny because growing up, I was always told by my teachers that I should be a lawyer and that I have the gift of gab and that people always would say that. So I think that kind of was ingrained in me at a young age that that was what I wanted to be. I honestly didn't know a lawyer, didn't really know other than what I saw on TV in terms of what lawyers do. I didn't know the process or any of that. So when I got to college, I was so green and totally clueless that I thought, okay, when I graduate, I'm going to be a lawyer. So I remember having a meeting with my advisor and she was like, oh no, honey, this is just your four-year degree. When you leave here, you will actually have to go to law school and then you will be a lawyer. Like you'll have to take the bar and then you can become a lawyer. Oh, wow. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm not signing up for that. So I switched my major and I was like, no, I'm just going to get this four-year degree and I'm going to be good. But there was a part of me that, always knew that I was supposed to go to law school. 
Yeah. So I really just kind of went changed directions after September 11th. The economy was just horrible, which reminds me a lot of this time that we're in right now. But mm-hmm. the economy took a major hit. And I was like, you know what? Now is probably the time for me to go ahead and go back to school. So I went, that's kind of how it got started. And I really still didn't fully know exactly what I wanted to do. I knew that I wanted to be a lawyer. Initially, I thought I wanted to be in the courtroom, which is what I did for a long time. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, okay, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> Been there, done that. And that was good, though, because the experience, the skills, the confidence, the ability to communicate, all of that is really good. And I use that even now. But that was really what I thought I wanted to do when I first went to law school. And that's what I did for quite some time. So then what was the breaking point where you were like, you know what, this isn't it. I need to figure out a different way to practice law. So after I was working, well, first of all, I started my um, own practice right out of law school, which is not the way that people tell you you should do it. They're like, Mm -hmm. you need to get experience. But because law was already a second career for me, and I was what was considered a non-traditional student, I had a husband, I had two small kids when I went to law school, the opportunities that were there weren't matching my lifestyle and what I needed. And so I had a hard time in finding a job that was going to give me the work-life balance that I needed and paid the salary that I felt I deserved, considering I had given up a career to go to law school for three Mm -hmm. years. So that was a tough, really tough thing. I mean, I applied for like 1700, um, something crazy law firm jobs. I mean, I I like went in on that and I just had a really hard time. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to just start my own practice. And I did that. And then I ended up a local firm, a very reputable, actually, in my opinion, the best firm in Prince George's County. I had garnered their attention. And they asked me to bring my practice there. They acquired my firm and gave me the support that I needed to really focus on being a really good lawyer Mm -hmm. and not having to worry about all of the pieces that come with running a business. And so I did that. I was very successful there. I made junior partner there in three years, which was unheard of there. I was the only Black woman to not only to ever even get that, but even to be there, which was remarkable. And so I enjoyed that and I learned a lot, but there was still this part of me inside that knew I needed to be on my own and that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. So by now, my kids are a lot older than they were when I first went to law school. And as a family, my husband and I and my daughter decided that I was going to homeschool her. She was in 10th grade at the time. And there was just no way I could work for the firm, be a litigator and be a homeschooling mom. That was just Mm -hmm. like not going to happen. So I had just started kind of dabbling into the online space and I found Marie Forleo's B-School and I knew that she was teaching people, you know, how to build online businesses. And I was like, well, that'll be perfect for me because then I could go home, I could homeschool her, I could have an online business. Never did it occur to me that my online business would be 
an online law firm. I was thinking that I was going to have to quit being a lawyer and I was going like, you know, sell t-shirts or something. I didn't care what it was. I just knew I needed an online business. Uh-huh. So when I started B-School, one of the best component to me of B-School is that she's got this Facebook community that was full of all these mostly women online business owners. And so I started seeing all of these issues that they were having. And because I was, you know, one of the few lawyers in the room, they were asking me, like, somebody stole my ebook and they're selling it on their website, or I need to get a trademark, or somebody took the name of my coaching course. How do I protect my content? I have a client in my coaching program that has not paid me. I need a contract. And so I was like, oh my God, this is it right here. I can be a lawyer for these people. And that's really how I got started. I mean, I would love to say, oh, it's just, I was born. I knew that I was going to have an online law firm. No, that wasn't it. It, <laughs> it literally just happened just like that. No, but I think that's really awesome because a lot of women who are in that situation, I believe they feel stuck or torn, so to speak, between their families and their careers. But it's not like you just went straight into problem solving mode and was like, okay, well, what am I going to do then to be able to make this work? So for those women who are in that space where they have a demanding job, they do desire entrepreneurship, but it's just a lot going on with family, work, and life in general. What are some things that you would tell them as far as how they could make the transition into entrepreneurship or deal with a lot of the mindset things that hold them back? Well, I think the first thing is really being true to yourself and knowing what you want and going after it. I think that that's the first piece. And in knowing that we, at the end of the day, are humans first. And so if you are true to yourself and figure out this is no longer working for me, be accepting of that. Listen to your gut, listen to your heart, and really go after it. I mean, the truth is, is that any and everything that you want, you can have. That's a mindset thing mm-hmm. that I think we have to just walk in and own. And it's not easy. Trust me, even all of these years later, I just had my March 1st is my five year anniversary, business anniversary. And so five years later, that advice I'm still telling to myself because mm-hmm. I still have to remind myself that it's okay to change your mind. I was actually going to post something about that on my blog because I am now at a place where I'm at a crossroads and there are some things about my business that I want to change. And it's okay to do that. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, that's the power that you have in entrepreneurship is the power of choice. You can have whatever kind of business you want. You can have set the rules. I was just saying to my husband today, I'm so exhausted by the time Wednesday gets here and Thursday and Friday are killing me. I think Mm -hmm. that I'm going to close on Fridays. I think that that's going to be a day that I'm not open. And guess what? I can do that. It's my company. I can make that decision if that's what I want to do. Mainly because I'm also a person that I highly utilize my weekends and I like to work on the business. And that's the time that I have the opportunity to work on my business, doing marketing and content creation and so forth on the weekend. But if I'm working like a crazy person Monday through Friday, I don't have it in me to do that on Saturday. So if I need to cut back the work week, that's exactly what I'm going to do starting next week. (laughs) Isn't it great to just be able to make an executive decision? (laughs) Exactly. It is. 
So now since you're working with entrepreneurs through the online law firm, what are some of the mistakes that you see a lot of businesses make when it comes to creating their brands and also protecting their brands? Well, I think the first thing is not taking it seriously. And I think that it's the toughest part of my job is delivering that news to people after the fact. It's so much harder for me to have the tough conversation about the necessity. I just had this conversation today about we're going to have to rebrand the name that you've been using. We cannot use that name because it's already trademarked by someone. Lucky for you, they haven't found you yet. Mm-hmm. But, you, you know, so I think the first thing is just taking it really seriously from the beginning. One of the things I say all the time, especially for online entrepreneurs, or people that are creative and meaning that we create something. Think about your business, your creative works, your intellectual property as your inventory, right? If you were a brick and mortar mom and pop shop on the main street of your neighborhood or your town, and you sold nice physical products. When you left for the day, you would lock up, right? Mm -hmm. You would have a security system. You would make sure that you're protecting that inventory so that people don't come and steal it. Think the same way about your intellectual property, copyrights, trademarks, trade secrets, contracts. Those are all business insurance for your creative business. So if you think about it in that way, you are a lot more likely to take it serious from the beginning. So I think that's one. Number two, I am always amazed at how many people don't understand the power of it and the leverage that comes with owning your brand. And being able to license your brand, being able to do something one time and get paid multiple times for it. There is so much power in intellectual property. And I know that we're kind of, people are starting to see that a little bit more now, especially since we're, we're in the age of content and we're able to see people that you might've went to high school with that had a desire or wanted to be in Hollywood and be on the big screen. And the next thing you know, they have a hit Netflix show or they're on Amazon Prime. Like we have the ability as creators to create the life and the work that we want. And so it's a lot, it's becoming a lot easier to reach those goals. And I think that people are starting to see the power in the intellectual property and the ability to leverage it. But It's so fascinating to me and it's so exciting. And I love talking to people about ways that they can, you know, even right now as we're dealing with this coronavirus, people that are able to create content, create courses, create ways that schools or parents can homeschool their children. Maybe you have a course that you can leverage, like being able to do that, that's like amazing. That's like really talk about building a legacy, you know, being able to have something that will go on and live beyond you is just so powerful. And I think that the biggest mistake I see is that people don't see the potential in that. A lot of times intellectual property is not as sexy as the logo and your brand palette Mm -hmm. and all the cutesy stuff that comes with starting a business. But True entrepreneurship, true legacy building really is going to be, if that's important to you, you've got to get serious about protecting your brand and your business and your intellectual property. 
That's good. So then at what point is someone starting a new business? Like you said, it's so easy to do, but at what point do they start the process of protecting their brand? Is it prior to launch? Do they need to get their feet wet a little bit to figure out that's truly what Mm -hmm. they want to do before they make that investment? When is the best time to start that process? That's such a good question. So the first thing is before you get married to a name, you need to go through the name vetting process. And so that's key because there's two pieces to trademark law and to brand protection. And the first is to just make sure that it's okay that you aren't infringing on someone else's trademark. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's kind of that first part. And so you can do this on your own in terms of searching. You can hire an attorney to help you. It's not that expensive to do that initial piece. And I would say that's really, really, really important to do that. Next, when it comes to actually filing for trademark registration, and some of my lawyer colleagues may disagree with me, but I'm not a person that thinks you should do that right away. Mm -hmm. I think that you need to be married to this. Like, you know, I offered a a trademark course a couple of years ago and it was called Make It Official. When you're ready to put a ring on this thing, like this is something you're in it for the long haul that Mm -hmm. because trademarking is an investment. And I think of, you know, I laugh at myself at looking at my first website, the first offerings that I had, the first things that I did. I'm not even there anymore. So I do think that you should have some time, you know, when you're at the place that you're like, okay, I want to be known for this. Like when you ask yourself those questions, like, will I be doing this in five years? When I get tired of doing it, do I want to have my children to do it? Or do I want to sell this business? Or do I want this to continue without me? And those kinds of questions, that's when trademarking is really, really important. I don't think that just starting out, it's always something that you need, you necessarily need to do. It's a case-by-case basis. Yeah, I think that's really good because I know like in the process that we're in, I wanted to make sure that I knew what I was doing. It's not a domain name. You know, I can't just go on GoDaddy and be like, let me buy this real quick. It's $12. And then that's that. (laughs) I really was like, okay, what do I really want to do with this? And so it's helped me have that peace of mind, even in the process, because I have an idea of where I'm going, as opposed to me just saying like, oh, this is something cool. Let me trademark it. And then I don't ever even use it really, because I have no clue of what the vision is for it. Exactly. Exactly. And so I think that that's the way to do it, because sometimes we don't even want to do that anymore, or it takes a different direction. If the vision isn't clear, then you could end up doing something completely different. And so I do think that you want to do the vetting and you you want to go through the the vetting and the clearance process so that you're sure that if you do decide to be in it for the long haul, that you can trademark it. That's why you want to do that part in the beginning. That's really important. Can you actually talk a bit about, because when I have my podcast retreats, a lot of people I notice, a lot of them are new entrepreneurs and just getting into business in general and trying to create shows and stuff. It's a lot of confusion as to what the legal aspects of business is. So like I see people using trademark and DBAs interchangeably as if it's the same thing or they're not fully understanding business structure. So can you talk a bit about 
that what a trademark is, how is that different from a DBA and how is that different from your business structure? So those people who are just getting into it can have a clear understanding of what's going on. Yes. Great question. So the first thing that I like to, first of all, I'll tell you my favorite subject in school has always been history. So, and I think that that just plays a part in everything. Like if we know the history of something or the why behind it, it'll make it make so much more sense to us. So the first thing is to understand a biggest misconception that people have about trademarking is they think that trademarks exist for us as the brand owners or the the business owners, the people who own them. And that's not true. Trademark Mm -hmm law was birthed out of consumer protection. It is the government's way of making sure that consumers who are spending their money on products and services are assured that the name that they see or the logo that they see identifies a product or service that they believe that they are getting. Greatest example in the world is Louis Vuitton. Because they're probably the biggest um, victim of, of trademark infringement than anyone. The government wants to make sure that when Nikia goes to the Louis Vuitton store and purchases that beautiful leather bag with the LV logo on it, and the experience that she gets when they bring her a glass of champagne and they roll out the red carpet and they're treating her like she's just, you know, this very important person that if she's walking down Canal Street in New York and she sees another bag similar to that, that when she goes to purchase it, she's going to get the same quality, the same experience, the same branding that she gets when she goes to the Louis Vuitton store. That is why the government allows Louis Vuitton to have a lock on anybody putting that LV on their products, because there is a certain level and a brand experience that is associated with them and their products. So that's where trademark comes from. So when you know that and you understand it, it it makes it easier to understand why the government says no sometimes, because they don't want to make it so that consumers are confused, Mm -hmm. that they might get, look at yours and get it mixed up with the person across the country. So that's really where trademarking comes from. The same with trade names or DBA. A DBA, which stands for doing business as, comes from the same vein of consumer protection. So, for example, I will use myself as an example. Perhaps the name of my company, my consulting company is Nakia Great Enterprises. But I have a trademark course called Make It Official. So if I am marketing, make it official, make it official, make it official, sign up, sign up, sign up. We're having in-person classes. We're having a a retreat. We're having an event. And so the consumer who is buying this Make It Official course, when they have a bad experience, and they need to sue, make it official, and they go to look them up, that company doesn't exist, they are now confused and there's no protection for them. So Mm -hmm. to protect them, the government requires that if you are doing business under another name, other than the registered company that you have, you have to put people on notice. So what I would do in the event of would make it official is I could register as a DBA 
This is uh, Nakia Gray Enterprises Incorporated doing business as Make It Official so that there's a connection between the brand name that's outward to the public and the actual company in case you need to sue me. So that's really where that comes from. And so because a lot of those lawsuits are associated with your state or your local government, those are filed at the state level so that if somebody needs to sue you, they have to look you up in these. Usually it's going to be on the Secretary of State's website in D.C. We call it D.C.R.A. because D.C. is a district and not a state. Mm-hmm. So when they go to look that company up, it tells them who the resident agent is. And so that's who they need to serve on a lawsuit if there is a legal issue with the company. So a trade name is what you do at your local level. and It's no protection, really. It is just putting people on notice that when they see Make It Official or when they see Blessed and Bossed Up podcast, that the company behind it is Anchored Media, by the way. I'm just using you as an example now. (laughs) So that's the difference between a trade name and a trademark. A trademark, on the other hand, that's the big dog. That is federal. That applies to all 50 states. That is the exclusive right to use a name or a logo associated with your products or services. Again, not from the perspective of you being able to show off that you've got a trademark, but from the perspective of clients or customers who interact with your business to not be defrauded when they go to get something from someone else and think that that is you. So that's really the difference. I hope that makes sense. That's always how I try to explain it to make it clear, like what's the difference between the two. No, you broke it down perfectly. So for you guys, if you need a recap, first of all, all of it is not for you. <laughs> it's for the consumer. <laughs> the DBA connects your business legal name with what you're doing business as, but that's no protection. That's just more so they know that y'all in the same family, so to speak. And then yeah. the trademark is, like you said, the big dog, the protection. That's what makes sure that nobody else can go out and imitate your brand. Did I say it right? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And that's why trademark is not just a universal block on everybody in every industry. That's why we have classes, because you can't say nobody can use this in any form or fashion, (laughs) but you can't use it. You know, let's just say in the electronic space, then my trademark is going to be limited to my products and services in the electronic space. I can't stop someone who is trying to use it in the restaurant space, for example. And Mm -hmm. so the test that we're always using is the likelihood of confusion. And that always comes back to that history lesson. It's all about the consumers. Will the consumer see that and think that it's someone else? If there's any chance that they would, then the government is going to say no, because we don't want our consumers to be confused. We want them to know when they see the LV that they're getting the real thing. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Mental health is so, so important, especially with everything that's going on in the world, getting used to this new normal, and then going to have to, of course, transition into something else as the world changes. It can be very mentally taxing to us as individuals. And so our mental health is just 
so important that we really take control of it right now and we really take an active approach on making sure that we're mentally well. Counseling is here for you. BetterHelp is the world's largest e-counseling platform. So for me, with my busy schedule, it's sometimes really hard to research and make appointments with in-person counselors. So I need something that's very, very convenient and something that will easily integrate into my lifestyle. And I find myself sometimes, honestly, not even going to counseling at all because it's not typically offered at that level of convenience that I need. But with BetterHelp, they will connect you with a professional counselor in a safe, and private online environment. It is super convenient, you guys. You can now get help on your own time and at your own pace. Also, BetterHelp is available worldwide. So no matter where you are on the globe, BetterHelp is available for you. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist. Anything that you share is totally confidential. And on top of all of that, you can start communicating with your therapist in under 24 hours. So if you need to talk to somebody ASAP, BetterHelp will get you with someone in under 24 hours. And best of all, it's truly an affordable option. And on top of it being affordable already, Blessed and Bossed Up listeners get 10% off your first month with discount code BLESSED. So why not get started today, you guys? Go to betterhelp.com slash blessed. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and you get matched with a counselor that you'll love. That's betterhelp.com slash blessed. Let's get back to the show. This episode is brought to you by Fiverr. Let's talk about finding freelance talent for your business or project. Sometimes a business needs to quickly pivot in order to reach a goal, or maybe an unexpected obstacle occurred, like what's going on in the world right now, making it impossible to meet your deadline with the size of your current team. So in this instance, where do you go to find on-demand talent? How much will it cost? How can you be certain they'll deliver? Finding the right freelancer can be time consuming, it can be frustrating, and honestly, it could be really expensive. Fiverr's platform helps keep businesses moving with a network of trusted freelance talent. I personally have been using Fiverr since I became an entrepreneur in 2015. I've used it everywhere from podcast editing to um, graphics to presentations to logos. I've used them for just about everything. And it's so easy to find someone because you can read reviews, you can see examples of their work. Um, And if you have any further questions, you can always chat with them and they'll answer any questions that you may have about what they do. So I absolutely love it. You can easily find what you're looking for by searching by service, deadline, price, reviews, and so much more. You'll know exactly what you're paying for upfront, so no negotiating is even necessary. Plus, on top of all of that, Fiverr has 24-7 customer service to help you with any problems that may arise. Check out Fiverr.com today and receive 10% off your first order by using my code BLESSED. It's so easy. Find all the digital services you need in one place at F-I-V-E-R-R.com, code BLESSED. Again, that's Fiverr.com, code BLESSED. Let's get back to the show. So another question that a lot of people ask is about the different types of business structures. And people always ask me and I'm like, listen, do the research, hire a lawyer, talk to a lawyer and talk to an accountant because of those things that go into that. And that is your business and your decision to make. So can you tell us about the different business structures 
and maybe a little brief pros and cons of each. Sure. So the main thing to recognize is that whenever you are doing business, to get the most protection, you want to have an entity. And that is protection from your personal assets. So if I start a company, Nakia's Cupcakes, and I don't form an entity, I don't file anything with the state, I'm just selling the cupcakes, and someone gets sick and they sue me and the court says, yeah, Nakia, you put something, uh, you use bad eggs or whatever. And Mm -hmm. so you're going to be liable to this victims. Well, if they are successful in that lawsuit and I haven't formed an entity, everything that's in my name is up for grabs in the lawsuit. Mm -hmm. So the reason why we form entities is to limit that liability and to have the protection that our personal assets, that our business is separate and apart from us as individuals. So you have several types of entities to do that. You can have an LLC. That's the most common. A lot of people gravitate to the LLC. That stands for limited liability company. Then you have corporations, which are usually you think of like a larger corporation, like your Googles or Amazons. And there is a an election that can be made called an S election, the S corp, which will allow a single owner to have the same, all of the benefits of having a corporation, but to not be taxed. The biggest difference between a C corp and an S corp is double taxation. Mm-hmm. When it comes to being taxed under a corporation, you're taxed twice. The business pays taxes and all of the shareholders. And if it's just you, then you're the only shareholder, then you pay tax. So you actually will pay tax twice. But the S corp, the S election allows you to take a salary and to not be taxed twice. So that's really how that goes. Now, lots of states will allow you to form an LLC. You kind of can get the best of both worlds by the ease of forming an LLC, but you can still elect to be taxed as an S-corp. So that's another way that you can do it. A lot of times people gravitate towards LLC because it's easier. And a corporation requires bylaws and a board of directors and a and meetings and minutes and all these things that just seem crazy when it's just you. So a lot of times people are like, well, I don't want to do all that. I'm just going to form an LLC. Mm-hmm. But what I, the general rule of thumb that I use with a lot of my clients is it just depends on where your revenues are. There are some tax benefits and lots of other benefits that are only afforded to corporations. So if you are an LLC, it's really just a fancy way of being a sole proprietor. And your taxes are at your personal rate and it's on a Schedule C and there's not a whole lot of benefit there. So once you get to that two fifty dollars to $300,000 a year mark, you might be losing out. So that's why I always recommend that you talk to both an attorney and an accountant because it depends on how your revenues are, how much money you think you're going to make, how you make that money in terms of what kind of staff you're going to have and all of that as to what type of entity is going to make sense for you. So I always say, talk to both. Lawyers are always coming from a liability standpoint. And the truth is, is that they both protect you from liability. As long Mm -hmm. as you're doing what you need to do to keep separate records, keep separate bank accounts and so forth. But accountants are much better people to talk about money with because that's what they do. (laughs) So I always recommend that my clients I'll say to you, this is what I think you should do, but confirm this with your accountant and then we'll move forward with filing. 
Yeah, I think that's good. I think the two people that every entrepreneur needs in their pocket is a lawyer and an accountant. <laughs> Those are like the two people. Forget the marketer, the branding yes. person. Get you an accountant and get you a lawyer that you have access to because that's so necessary, especially as you're laying that foundation and as you grow. You want to make sure you're just doing things the right way and in decency and order, as the Bible says. <laughs> and I would say, I know that lawyers are not cheap most of the time. And so I know that people a lot of times are intimidated by how much it's going to cost them and they just don't want to spend that money. But I would say you don't have to do everything at once. You know, start mm -hmm. off with just a consultation. I have so many people that book an hour of my time. And when I say they come prepared, they've got a long list of questions. And, like, <laughs> like, and that's fine. Like you can totally do that. And then a year later, they come back to me with something else where they say, I need to get on your calendar. You just need a trusted advisor. So you don't have mm -hmm. to have a $5,000 retainer set aside for a lawyer. You just need to be able to pay for an hour. If you've got to slow walk that thing, you slow walk it. Mm -hmm. And the same with accountants. And I'd say with the accountants, and if there were one here, they would say, and do it early because a lot of times people are coming to them when it's tax time. Well, guess mm -hmm. what? It's too late. I can't do anything about the money that we could have kept, but now you're going to have this huge tax liability, but here's what we can do going forward. So just do that at the very beginning, before you book the website person and the logo and buy your domain, talk to a lawyer and talk to an accountant. That's good. Can you speak to us about the importance of contracts? I get a lot of people who were saying, oh, I'm going to get my friend to do this. And I had a bad situation doing business with a friend, like beginning, beginning the entrepreneurship. And my biggest lesson with that was I'm never doing anything with anybody again without there being paperwork. And a lot of people that I talk to, they, you know, just casually say, oh, I'm going to have my friend do this or I'm going to do that. Even when you're bartering, a lot of people just go off of word of mouth, but even bartering needs some type of agreement set in place. And I think a, that's another step that a lot of people, especially new entrepreneurs, skip. So can you talk a bit about the importance of having documentation in place? Yes, it is so important. I could tell you stories for days the friendships. I have literally been in a litigation right now for the last four years between best friends, former wow. best friends, former best friends who wrote a book together, but they have different points of view as to what contributions each of them made. Hmm. Totally innocent, totally could happen. It's not about one person being wrong and one person being right. It's about, I thought this and you thought that. That's mm -hmm. all it is. But I don't even want to tell you how many tens of thousands of dollars we have spent in this litigation. And now it's delayed even further because the courts are closed. Wow. <laughs> but so it's very important. It would have been so great for them to have set this out from the beginning. Bartering is a great way to do things when you're first starting out. I actually created a contract template for this very purpose because of how many people were coming to me with bartering gone wrong. And so it's very important that you iron out those things because number one, bartering can be confusing if you aren't clear on who's doing what by when and for what purpose. Mm -hmm. That's the key. Like those are the biggest things that can 
lead to miscommunication because, okay, let's say you're going to barter with someone who you're a photographer and you're going to take pictures for your friend and they're a web designer and they're going to do your website. Okay. But by when, what's the value associated with it? If you're photo shoot is worth $150 and their website packages are 5,000, that's not really an even exchange. (laughs) And are we talking about, are they going to do it now? I'll tell you the most common is the time period because you're just starting out. You're expecting that it is going to be done right now, but they may be well into their business and they're not going to put their paying clients before you. That the time period is always an issue. What's included? How many revisions do they get? What if I don't like the pictures? I mean, there's all kinds of questions like that. So having a contract and that's, you know, for bartering, that's for any person who is coming to work alongside you. That's for virtual assistants. That's for the web person. That's every person, every relationship that you have within your business should be governed. I mean, even outside of your business, maybe. If we're talking about marriage, but uh, putting prenups aside, every relationship that you have should be governed by a piece of paper and a contract. And not only should it be governed by that, you should read it. You should make sure that you understand it. You should not sign it if there's something in there that you don't fully understand. I'm always amazed at how many people say, I didn't even read it. Wow. You have to read it. And if anybody is making you feel like you have to sign something without getting someone to look over it for you, then that's not a relationship that you need to be entering into. You should definitely make sure that you read it, you understand it, and you feel like you have the power to say, I'm okay with this and this, but this, I don't like that, or I don't understand that, or or whatever the case may be. Just making sure that you do that. You should have a good set of contracts for those relationships. And if ever you're presented with one that you don't understand, you should book a consultation with an attorney and have them review it for you and go over it with you because it's so much harder for me to get you out of a contract than it is for me to negotiate and say, tell them to remove paragraph three. That's unnecessary or that doesn't work in your favor. Yes. And one of the things that I love about you is you have this online suite with all of these contract templates. This is one of the places I'm always sending people. So for you guys that is listening, make sure you guys go to NakiaGray.com and I'll put the link in the show notes because one, where else are you about to find real contract templates from actual lawyers, not ones that we get off legal zoom or whatever we find on the internet, but ones that were actually written with care and they're affordable. You know, it's not thousands and thousands of dollars. They're very affordable and they're going to save you so much money in the long run by just doing things correctly the first time. So I personally utilize it. It's like a couple bookmark right now. I'm probably going to get before the week is out, but um, make sure that you guys go to NakiaGray.com so that as you're building your businesses and doing these bartering agreements, as you're getting clients, as you're selling digital products, all of that, that you have all of the legal aspects that you need. This episode is brought to you by Skillshare. Now, I know you guys know by now how much I love Skillshare. I don't think I'll ever get over the fact that there are so many different classes available on this one platform at such an affordable rate. I can go in there and learn about film and video, um, graphic design. Now being a new mom, my priorities are changing. I now have to be a lot more productive. 
than before. So I'm able to go on there and learn how to better manage my time. It's just so many opportunities to be creative and productive through the classes that's offered on Skillshare. And Skillshare even offers classes designed for real life and all of the circumstances that come along with it. So it's always the right time to stay inspired, express yourself and connect with a community of millions. Literally, the skills and things that you can learn on this platform are so essential to no matter what phrase that you are in life right now, there's something for everybody who is looking to build a skill, who's looking to be creative or just curious about new things. Explore your creativity and get two free months of premium membership at Skillshare.com slash blessed. That's two whole entire months of unlimited access to thousands of classes for free. Get started and join today by heading to Skillshare.com slash blessed. Again, that's two free months, you guys, of unlimited access to thousands of classes at Skillshare.com slash blessed. Let's get back to the show. And actually speaking of digital products and like memberships and things, what is the importance of those terms and conditions and verbiage that lawyers suggest that we have on those sites? Yes. So definitely it's important to have terms and conditions on your website. All of those, again, this is all about, this country is very big on consumer protection. It's all about the (laughs) visitors, right? It's not meant to be anything that benefits you as a, a company owner, but they want to make sure that you are, uh, there's so much out here in terms of privacy and what happens to people's names. A lot of times we might have a sign up for my email list on our website or people may purchase things. And so you have to have a privacy policy that is in compliance with the FTC, which is the governmental agency that governs what you do with people's information. So you have to tell people what it is that you are going to do with their information. And you have to make sure that that is what you're actually doing. This is a big mistake. A lot of times people will go on someone else's website and copy their privacy policy. Well, what happens when people subscribe to your podcast, it may be very different from what happens to when they sign up on my website. So mm-hmm. our privacy policies shouldn't necessarily be the same. So the templates that I have are going to give you those choices based on what type of payment processor are you using? Are you sure that this information is secured in an SSL encrypted database and all different things like that? So those are very important. The truth is not a lot of people read them, but Mm -hmm. in the event that something happens, that's your protection and your way of saying, well, I did my job. I told them this is what's going to happen. So you have those terms and conditions, but even more important than those, if you are selling digital products, you should have terms and conditions for your products. This is the other place where chargebacks happen where people are blasting people on social media and talking about how they were the worst coach in the world and all kinds of things. Almost always that happens because there is a miscommunication and there's no management of the expectations of what they're getting. And so it's very important that you have terms and conditions that say all of your policies, this is what your return policy is. This is your refund policy. This is how much time, you know, and, and in my refund policy templates, I give you plenty of options. Some people say, absolutely, no refunds under any circumstances. And if that's your policy, that's your policy, but you've got to make sure that you've communicated that. Some people say, okay, you can try it out for a certain time. 
And then here's the, you know, their conditions that are associated with it. When it comes to payment, if you have payment options to where people can pay, you know, a recurring payment, you got to get authorization for that. You have to explain that to them. Some payment processors automatically, you know, if a charge is declined, it automatically runs the card in three days. That's something you got to let people know. So there's all kinds of things like that that are very important. And I have found that even though people don't necessarily read the website terms and conditions, when they're on that checkout page before they give you their credit card, they're reading those. And so that's where you want to have what your refund policy is, you know, how you can be reached. What happens if they're, you know, I work with a lot of online entrepreneurs, so lots of coaches. If your program is a six month program and they get a call every two weeks, what happens if they miss one? Can they make it up? What happens if they don't show? If they don't make their payment one month, does that mean that they can just quit? What are the terms as it relates to you know, who can terminate? How can you terminate? You know, there are all of those kinds of things we put in our coaching agreements and in our terms and conditions, even down to Facebook groups. I've seen people get upset because they get kicked out of somebody's Facebook group. Well, if you don't have a policy, if your program says that included in the membership or included in the coaching package is a Facebook group, which by the way, I'm just going to give you all a free legal tip. Don't ever put that in your contracts because here's why you can't control a Facebook group. If Facebook Mm -hmm. shuts down and you decide that you want to move that to another place, then you should be able to do that without you're in breach of your contract if you do that. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's just a little side note, but just making sure that you are very clear about what people are getting. It's just so important. And another little piece that I include in all of mine are non-disparagement clauses. You can't go talking bad about me all over Yelp and Instagram (laughs) and all these places. Because guess what? This is me protecting my inventory, right? This is my brand. I'm protecting my brand. So there's lots of things that you can do to make sure that you're protecting your brand's reputation and you should be doing that. That's good. I'm glad that you brought up chargebacks because thank God I don't really deal with that often, but I see a lot of online entrepreneurs having that problem. And I even have people who ask me about refunds as it relates to digital things. And you have to kind of explain like, you know, it's digital, you know what I mean? You have it. So can't really give you your money back. You can't give me the documents back because you have them. And I see a lot of people who they will purchase things that are digital And then they'll call the bank pretty much so they don't got to pay for it. And then that causes issues with the entrepreneur. So the way to kind of get around that is that where you put those terms and conditions and things on that checkout page is, can I submit that to the bank? Because yes, I was going to say that's exactly what you do. That's exactly what you do. And that's the way that you, and hopefully you don't have to do this a lot because it is a pain in the butt, Mm -hmm. but that's exactly how entrepreneurs protect themselves against chargebacks is because when you have very clear terms and conditions, because banks aren't going to just give people their money back. They're going to give you an opportunity to respond. So Mm -hmm. when you have an opportunity to respond, you say, well, we had a contract. I mean, it's a little different if you're doing one-on-one coaching and you have a written contract. If it's just a contract where they have to check the box or here are the terms and conditions where they entered their payment information, then you're going to send screenshots of that to the bank and 
they nine times out of 10, they are going to uphold that. You will send them that and you will send them the proof of delivery. This is where good having good policies in place comes in handy. You'll send them the delivery email from your, you know, whatever delivery system you're using to deliver it to them. I even have, there, there are softwares out there that will allow you to track IP addresses and when people access. So all of that, you know, the bank sees that, okay, they, you had this, they paid, they enter their card and here we can see where they actually downloaded it and saved it on their Google Drive. No, ma'am, you're not getting back a refund. Yeah, I had somebody do that with, thank God I don't deal with this a lot, but I did have someone say that they never got access to our mm-hmm. membership site. And I was like, well, hold on. It's saying that you accessed this this morning <laughs> <laughs> and commenting on something in the, in the thing that you don't have access to. You know, know, people get desperate and, you know, they just want their money back and they'll, they will try it, but you've got to, and I think that I like to tell my clients also, it's just a proactive way of you letting people know, don't even try that crap with me. Like Mm -hmm. I'm telling I'm letting you know right now when people will take you seriously, a lot more seriously when they see that you're on top of your brand. They're not even going to try that with you. So those people that would do that, they're just going to go buy from somebody else. They're not even going to try it with you when they see that you've got terms and conditions. They try it with the people that don't have any because they know that they can't. Yeah. Well, before I let you go, Nikki, I have two questions from the audience. I posted in my Instagram stories. What lawyer question do you guys have? So I'm only going to do two. So one person wants to know, how can nonprofits make sure that they are protected legally? The exact same way. So when it comes to nonprofits, you have to do the same things that for-profit organizations have to do. You have to have proper contracts. You have to utilize trademarks. Very important for nonprofits to utilize trademarks. Um, It's the exact same things. There's no difference when it comes to protection for a nonprofit or a for-profit business. Okay. And then the second one is how do you legally set up a parent company with subsidiaries? Okay. So let me say, I'm not a fan of that. And and here is why. Remember, we talked about the whole purpose behind us setting up companies is to protect our personal assets. So if you have companies that are doing business in different industries or that businesses that are unrelated, it's not wise for you to mix them. Why? Mm -hmm. Because in the event of a lawsuit, so let's say you're in the real estate industry and you lease out property and you also are a caterer. You don't want a parent company with both of those two completely unrelated companies under the same, because if one of those tenants goes to sue you, they have access to the profits in the catering company. And that defeats the whole purpose. So in very few instances, I will say that in some, I have done this and it does make sense. I'm not saying it never makes sense. Sometimes, for example, if you are a media company and you have an educational uh, arm where you are doing uh, courses or doing things for people, teaching them how to do their own PR or how to do their own videos and so forth. That might be one company. And then you have another nonprofit 
that's associated with your company that maybe you raise money for inner city children who want to get into the media industry. You know what I mean? If it sometimes it makes sense and sometimes there are most commonly are going to be a DIY version of something that you do for people. So I have another company where kind of like me with the Bedrock Academy. However, the Bedrock Academy is a completely separate company than my law firm. When you buy products from my company, you are not getting Nakia Gray as your lawyer. You are buying information and a product. Those companies are not related. So you aren't going to be able to sue me. (laughs) (laughs) And I wouldn't put them under the same. I strategically don't do that because it's a completely different company. So sometimes the parent company makes sense. Oprah is a great example. Her media conglomerate with her podcast, her radio, I mean, her television station, and then her magazine, like that makes sense to be all there. But for most of us, we're not Oprah and it doesn't make sense. <laughs> we have completely separate businesses. That's good. Well, thank you, Nikia. I'm like, let me stop because... <laughs> I'm not going to take advantage of your time, but I was so glad to have you on here and excited to have you on here because these are a lot of things that a lot of entrepreneurs aren't really privy to. I think sometimes we get intimidated when we say, oh, you need to talk to a lawyer. Like you said earlier, sometimes you think that it's more expensive than it is, or it might just be that intimidation factor. And so I was so glad to have you on here to kind of just give knowledge to people and also show that it is affordable because I mean, I've utilized your services and it's not crazy expensive, you know, where I got to spill my arm in order to talk to (laughs) Nakia, you know what I mean? And so I wanted to definitely introduce you to the audience because I believe that a lot of them definitely should be better stewards over the things that they're doing. And a way to do that is to make sure that they're protecting their brand. So I just want to thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. This was fun. (laughs) Yeah. So tell everybody like where they could find you. How can they book their hour with you and all that good stuff? Sure. So my website is NakiaGray.com. And you can go to my website. If you scroll down on the first page, it says book a call with me. And you can book a call right there. Choose a time that works for you. I also am on Instagram at Nakia Gray ESQ, the same with Facebook. And I would say also there's lots of information. I'm constantly doing webinars and workshops and blog posts and putting things out that are free. So take advantage of the free content that is out there as well so that it helps you so that when you're ready to book that consultation, you are just asking questions or getting clarity on something, do some research on your own too. There's lots of attorneys out here who are giving out very useful information that you can take and help to steer you in the right direction. But definitely connect with me on Instagram as well as Facebook. I'm not as active on Facebook as I am on Instagram, but my website and Instagram, please definitely check it out. If you want to look at the products and courses and different things that I have to offer, you can go to the betrockacademy.com. And that is where the template shop is there. And I've got everything for coaches and photographers and event professionals, beauty professionals, authors. There's tons of contracts that are there for you to help you 
with um, getting templates. And sometimes if some people buy those and then they book just a 30 minute with me after they have customized their template to just have me look it over to make sure that it's good to go. That's a very affordable way to get contracts that you feel confident that you are protecting yourself and your business when you send them out. Yes. And I'm telling y'all that online store is lit. She has everything. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks again. And thank you guys so much for listening to the Blessed and Boss Up podcast. I will talk to you next week.